can do that now. Uh, for those of us in here this morning, we are continuing our, our little series that we're doing as, as we approach Easter, uh, which is Resurrection Stories. This morning we're going to be in John chapter 11, and we're going to look at the story of Lazarus's resurrection. And this is the last, if you, if you know much about the Gospel of John, it's the last of the signs, the seventh sign in the book of John. And it is the impetus, as we're going to see this morning, the impetus that leads to the Passion Week that leads to Palm Sunday and then ultimately to Jesus' crucifixion uh, that we'll be celebrating uh, this Friday. Here are the words in chapter 11 and verse 53. This is where the Lazarus story ends, if you will. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. That's where the story ends. That's where Lazarus leads, this, this wonderful story of Lazarus that leads ultimately to Jesus' crucifixion. Let's read the story now in chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who had anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two, more, two days longer in the place where he was. And on down to verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again, and Martha said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and she went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the tomb, uh, with her um, in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, 
The sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I, knew that you, I know that you always hear me, but I, I said this on the count of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we ask for your presence with us this morning. We pray that you would make your, your word come alive even before our eyes, our ears. Help us this day to see and ultimately believe in Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. All of us have, have probably been there at some point or another. Maybe you've lost a loved one or you're going to uh, support somebody in their grief or maybe just a, with a great tragedy that's taken place and, and you're entering in to, to try to be an encouragement or somebody's entering in to try to be an encouragement to you and so often I'm sure you've seen it, heard it, maybe these words have even come from your mouth. We can, we can be guilty sometimes as Christians of saying, saying just offering mere platitudes right? You come into this difficult time, and, and you may say unintentionally, not knowing that it's going to be hard to hear, but say to somebody, but just know that God's working all this together for the good. Um, I think we can all be guilty at times of saying that. Does that mean that, that Paul's not correct whenever he says that all things work together for the good? But by no means, but in that moment, what it sounds like is us quoting that 80s song, don't worry, be happy now, Right? That, that, that's what it sounds like to the person who is, is hearing it. And as we look at our passage this morning, we're, we're going to look first at the purpose. You know, why does, why does this happen? Why does Jesus allow Lazarus to die even? And that there is a great purpose behind it, a great purpose where God is working all things together for the good, okay? He's working all things together for the good. But as we see Jesus enter into the situation, as he goes to Bethany, he doesn't go leading with, oh, Mary, Martha, Mary, don't worry, God's working. I'm, I, I got this all worked out. It's all for the good. That's, that's not how we see Jesus approach them. We see, them, he, we see him approach with, with big emotions. In fact, we see him, our Savior, responding emotionally to the situation and entering into their grief. So, but first, let's, let's think about this purpose. Jesus hears, as we read, Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick. Okay, and we read then in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, so what's our expe- expectation? Our expectation is that Jesus is going to go running, right? Somebody is sick that we know they're in the hospital and, and we think it may be close to death. What do you do? You go running. And, and Jesus, after all, you would think, you know, the expectation probably of many is that he's going to probably heal him, right? Jesus has already healed many. Certainly he's going to do that here. And then we read verse 6. So, or therefore, okay, because Jesus loved them when he heard that Lazarus was ill, 
he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. <laughs> what? You've got to kind of ask the question, like, Jesus, what are you thinking? Your dear friend is ill. What's going on? And everybody in the story is kind of thinking the same thing, right? Whenever Martha comes and talks with Jesus, when Mary comes and talks with Jesus, they both say the same thing, right? Look at verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The Jews, when they're gathered together, what do they say of Jesus in verse 37? Could not he who have opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? We need to put ourselves in the shoes of the, the, the characters in this story for a bit, if you will. We, we, we shouldn't just jump to the ending. Okay, we know what's going to happen with Lazarus. But we need to enter in here. Jesus' dear friends, friend, Lazarus, had died. And the one who, who had the power to, to heal him didn't come running. He was late. <laughs> Do you ever feel like God's late? He doesn't show up when you want him to. You don't understand. We, we, we can't comprehend. What, why, what, why does he not come into my situation whenever I call out? Why does he not respond to me in the way that I want him to respond to me? And, and how do you react? Maybe become angry, sad, depressed. I don't know what yours is. You, you see, we, we kind of all know the difficulty of those moments, right? Maybe the death of a loved one, whatever it is. We, we, we know those incredible, difficult moments where we're wondering, God, where are you? And it's in, it's in those moments, I think, that you and I need, need to realize that it's, all, it's not all about having the right theology, the right words in our head. What we need at that moment, is that hopefully we're going to see in our passage this morning, what we really need is a person. What we really need in that moment is not just words, theology. We need the person of Jesus Christ entering into our situation. And the characters of our passage this morning, they need to be taught that. The text tells us that it was his love for Martha and for Mary and for, for Lazarus that led him to delay. As difficult as Lazarus' death must have been for, for, for Martha and Mary, as tragic as it was, to have rushed to Bethany and healed Lazarus would not have been best for them. It wouldn't have been best for Martha and for Mary. They needed a degree, if you will, from the school of grief and death. We don't like that, do we? The, in the passage we didn't read, the disciples needed to see this. We, we read in that little bit that we didn't read this morning. If, if Jesus had rushed down to Bethany, you know what also wouldn't have happened? Verse 45, where we see that many Jews believed in him. Okay? And to have rushed to Bethany, you know what also it would have meant? It would have meant that verse 53 wouldn't have come in at this point. That the Jewish leaders wouldn't have begun to make plans to put him to death. Sometimes you and I, as much as we may not like it, we need the, that same kind of degree that, that Martha and Mary were getting in that school of grief and death. We don't like it. But sometimes we need it. Sometimes it's for our good. Could it be? Could it be that God so loves you? He so loves me, so loves us, that he allows us to go through difficult times. Even the death of a loved one. So that you'll grow in your relationship with him. So that you'll know him better. 
so you'd be closer united to him for, it's good, for the good of your discipleship. You know, we look at life and, and we all wonder, when is it going to get easier, right? You know, maybe you've embraced Christ and you've trusted in him, you're united to him. And you say, Why is life not easier? Isn't it? I thought it was supposed to get easier with Jesus. And so often it doesn't, does it? We wonder, when is all the sadness going to come untrue? But what we're reminded of in Scripture is it's only going to come true, completely come untrue whenever Jesus returns, whenever he comes again to make all things new. Now, let's be clear. As we think about this, Jesus' sole motive here in, in delaying, it's not just his love for Martha and Mary, okay? Ultimately, we see it, and we, we see it in the very beginning of our passage, verse 4. What did Jesus say from the very beginning? It is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. It's for the glory of God. The, the ultimate purpose of this all, the ultimate purpose of everything that takes place in, in John 11, and in fact all of Scripture, is what? It's for His glory. Okay? When Martha grows in her faith and Mary, and, and we assume Lazarus as well, whenever that takes place, it's ultimately not for their glory, but it's for God's glory. When the many Jews come to faith, it is for his glory. And for his alone, it is ultimately about him. This is a story that should help us to rejoice and, and scream of the glory of God, the one who is able to open the tomb. That the dead man, Lazarus, walks out alive. It's amazing. It's incredible. We should be left in awe. And you know, as we, we think about the purpose here, the, the purpose, and well, God, God loves Martha and Mary, and this is for their good, right? It can begin to sound a whole lot like, you know, that, that, you know well, God's working all things together for the glory, and he is. But you notice that's not how Jesus approaches this situation whenever he enters into Bethany, is it? He doesn't say, come on, you guys, why are you all grieving? What's wrong with you? It's time for the party to start. I'm about to raise Lazarus from the... He doesn't do that, does he? As we see instead, we see Jesus' true human nature on display in our passage. And we see that he neither despairs, nor does he give shallow hope to those he enters in with. You know, I... As I was thinking about this, I was reminded in ninth grade year of, of school, um, my homeroom teacher, Mr. Helmy, he was brand new to the school, but he was like an old retired uh, public school teacher. And he just, the first day, he's like, he just seems like the grumpiest man you have ever met in your life. And in our school, like your, your homeroom teacher was going to follow you all the, all the years. So we we're going to have him for four years. He was going to be my science teacher that year. It was like everybody was talking about, it's like, who is this guy? He became almost everybody in our class's probably favorite teacher. Okay, we found out that he was far different than our, our first imaginations put on him. That, that wasn't what we first thought about him was not who he really was. Sometimes we, we do that with Jesus and we, we put these false things on him. We, we find out that he's maybe a little different than we think. And, and I want us to just enter in and just see some of those things. As, as we see Jesus enter in, we, it's, it's amazing these relationships that he has. Sometimes we don't think of Jesus in this vein. Verse 3, 
Lazarus, we read, is the one whom he loved. Verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister. When the people see Jesus weeping, what do they say? See how he loved him. You know, we've already spoken of how, how Jesus' motivation was partially out of his love for them, right? But we see something else, I think, that's incredibly encouraging. Sometimes I think we almost have the idea that Jesus must have walked around by like a loner, you know, like he's God incarnate, so surely he couldn't just sit around a campfire and enjoy fellowship. You know what I mean? It's like it, it always has to, you know, doesn't it always have to go back to God stuff and everything's got to be always super serious all the time or something? Like, what we see is that Jesus, who has genuine relationships, and these aren't his these aren't the disciples. Okay, this is a family. We, we don't know much about him. We don't know how he built this relationship with him. But he has a, a tight human relationship, friendship with these individuals. Don't miss Jesus' humanity like you and I. But not only do, do we see his humanity in, in that he had relationships like we do, we see it in his emotions in the story in an incredible way. When the second person of the Trinity took on a human nature... Part of that was taking on human feelings like you and I have. And we read about them, don't we, in our passage, verse 33. When Jesus saw her, Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. Verse 38 says this, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. We see that same phrase used twice there, deeply moved. And um, I think our translations, they're trying to do a somewhat good job. And, and what it says is true enough, but I don't think the language is quite strong enough. In fact, if you have an ESV Bible in front of you, there, there's, there, there's probably a footnote there in verse 33. And, and that footnote says that another way to translate this word is indignation. And what does that mean? We don't use that word that much. Feeling or showing anger because of something unjust or worthy. That's getting closer to it. The, the word underneath this is, is used often of like war horses snorting. Okay? It suggests anger and outrage. Jesus at this moment is outraged. He's angry. We don't. You know, that kind of takes us back sometimes. Jesus, angry? What, what's going on here? What, and what is he angry uh, about? Some have suggested that, well, maybe he's angry at the people grieving. You know, because they, maybe they're grieving as those who have no hope, right? And so, therefore, he's, he's angry that they don't believe. I, I don't think that's the case. In fact, I think we see it because what does Jesus do? What does he do? He enters into the grief with them, as we're going to see in a second, I think the context, though, maybe give us the answer. If you look at verse 38, and the focus of his anger, I, I think, give, is brought into some clarity, okay? Because what is it that he's angry at? He's angry as he approaches the tomb. He sees the tomb. He's angry at death. He's angry at death and sin and, and the havoc that it's, it's wreaked on this world, that his dear friends are, are mourning so deeply. John Calvin puts it this way. Christ does not approach the sepulcher, the tomb, as an idle spectator, 
but as a champion who prepares for a contest. And therefore, we need not wonder that he again groans, that groan with anger for the violent tyranny of death, which he had to conquer, is placed before his eyes. He's angry at death before him, knowing what what waits for him as well, knowing the ravage that it's had on this world. And he perfectly fulfills those words of Paul in Ephesians. Be angry and do not sin. Here we have Jesus perfectly demonstrating that. But he's not just angry, is he? Verse 35, we read this. Jesus wept. Now, I'm less than happy with the fact that this is only one verse. I think it throws things off because you know what happens with this verse? Is it's become a trivia question for us. It's just become a piece of trivia. Oh yeah, what's the, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? And we miss the depth of it. We miss what it's saying. Jesus shed tears. Not only was he angry, but he shed tears. Now, maybe you've been there at the end of a movie or something. I was thinking about Toy Story 3. If you've watched it, you know what I'm about to say. Um, if you followed the movies, you know, Andy's this kid, and he's got all these toys that he loves so dearly, and now he's, like, about to go off to college. And it's time to give away his toys. It's time to give away Woody, right? And he gives away Woody to this little girl. And it's a poignant moment in the movie. And if I'm being honest, my, my eyes might have begun to moisten a little bit. Um, a tear might have kind of leaked out a little bit. I think sometimes when we read Jesus wept, that's what we think happened here. What we see here are tears flowing down his cheek. Tears flowing down his cheek, much more intense than eyes just moistening. I mean, what what is it that that he's shedding tears over? Surely he's he's not shedding tears necessarily over Lazarus himself, you know, like you and I, whenever we're at a funeral or, or mourning the loss of somebody. Surely it's not quite the same because Jesus knows, and we're going to actually see this through the prayer that Jesus prays. Jesus already knows. He's already had a conversation with the Father, it appears, about what's going to happen, okay? He knows that Lazarus is going to rise from the dead. And surely, so the tears aren't for Lazarus. So what are they for? I think the tears are instead grief. at The very thing that we saw him angered about, about the havoc that death and sin has caused and is creating in this world. And we see Jesus grieving with those who grieve. We see Jesus, the the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate, perfectly keeping those words of Paul in Romans. Weep with those who weep. One commentator puts it this way. Jesus is deep inner agitation, is not limited to what in his confrontation with death applies to himself, but also expresses itself, get this, in his solidarity with the grief of those who once more go to the tomb to weep over the loss of their dear brother and friend, 
he weeps with those who are weeping. As the Son of God, he does not come to redeem the world from an imaginary grief or to make the grief over death somehow imaginary. Therefore, he joins the mourning procession for the friend whom he is to raise from the dead, and he weeps. Don't miss Jesus. Don't don't miss Jesus in this passage, please. And all this, I think, leads to a very important point as we're gathered here this morning that we need to understand and that that this passage is going to take us, and that is this, that we, you and I, we're not saved by some sort of abstract belief. We're saved by a person, Jesus Christ, one who walked this earth, who took steps like we did, who had feelings similar to our own, who ultimately went to the death, a death that he did not deserve, and ultimately rose from the dead. And all this is what makes Jesus' words, I think, to Martha so crucial for us this morning because we need to be asking, in a way, who is this man? Who is this man who who exhibits such godly, intense emotions? Who is this man who, who throughout the Gospels, has healed so many? Who, Who is this one who comes on this day to raise Lazarus from the dead? Who is this man? Remember Jesus' conversation with Martha, verse 21. What did she say to him? Lord, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. These words show how deeply I think Martha believed in Jesus. But at this moment, she can really see no good outcome. She still has some hope that Jesus will somehow do something to make things better. But it's already been four days. And that four days is significant, okay? There was that belief in that day that the, that the spirit of somebody after they died like hovered over their body for like three days, okay? So, so maybe Martha would have had some hope if Jesus had showed up on day two or day three. But it's now day four. There's any hope of Jesus being able to do anything is gone. And so it's important for, for Martha, but it's also important for the public, the, the Jews who are going to see what takes place here. Because, now, well, of course it's not. You know, it's one thing to raise somebody from the dead after a day. It's another thing to, to raise from the, somebody from the dead after four days, right? After, as the King James puts it, after, because he, what, is, what does Martha say? What is she concerned with? That he stinketh. That's how bad it's gotten on the fourth day. And what is Jesus' response to Martha? Your brother will rise again. Now, those words aren't abundantly clear because we'll see it in in Martha's response to Jesus. Maybe even Martha hears these words almost as mere words of platitude. And maybe you can see how, how they would even sound like us saying to somebody, well, God works all things together for the good. You could see this as a saying that maybe people would have used in the day at somebody's funeral and when they're encouraging somebody, uh, don't worry, you know, Your brother will rise again, believing that there will be a resurrection on the last day, but Jesus does not mean these words as mere platitude, does he? Was Martha's response, she says, I know. 
I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the, the last day. And what is she doing? She, she's resting on, she's reciting in that moment, reciting correct belief. Correct belief that on the last day, there will be a resurrection from the dead. But Jesus means far, far more than that. Okay? He means far more than that. His call in this moment is not for Martha to affirm some doctrine, but to believe in a person. How does Jesus respond? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You see, Jesus takes her, her well beyond any doctrine of the resurrection from the dead. And what does he do? He, he points her to himself. He doesn't say, let me teach you about the resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection. The resurrection takes place through me. It's, it's because of me that the resurrection will come true, that you will rise again on the last day. It's not just some doctrine that needs to be confessed. But it's him, Jesus Christ, that needs to be confessed. Faith in him is what needs to be confessed. You see, no, no quantity of, of knowledge in our head and the right theology and cramming it all in will save. Those things may be helpful and they may be important, but they will never save. It is in Christ alone that we are saved. Not our belief in some abstract truth, but our belief and trust in a person. Jesus, a person who, again, as I said a moment ago, walked this earth. And how does she respond? Verse 27, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Who does she confess that Jesus is? But the Christ. Now, there's a little bit of conversation at my dinner table, and I don't remember which of my sons said it. I'm hoping they were kidding, but somebody said something about Christ being Jesus' last name. Let's make sure that we understand. He's not Mr. Christ, right? What Martha here is confessing is that he is the long-awaited one, that he is, Christ is the New Testament word for the Old Testament word, Messiah. That he is the Messiah, he is the Christ, the, the long-expected one, the one who is going to come to crush Satan's head, the one who is going to sit on the throne of David forever, the one who is coming to redeem this world, to make all the bad things come untrue, to redeem us from sin and death, all packed into a little word as she can confesses her faith in him. And we see him demonstrate who he is, that he really is the resurrection and the life, right? Because where does he go? He, he goes to the tomb and he begins to pray and he says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Father, you know, we've already had a conversation about this. I'm saying this so that all who hear it might believe. 
and I think even beyond this day, but those in the room here this morning that we too might believe. And what does Jesus say? He cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. There's been a lot of ink spilt on this verse and a, and a question, and it's an interesting question. And what if he had just said, come out? What if he hadn't said Lazarus' name? Would, would, would the tombs have just emptied as they heard the voice of their creator? Well, regardless of whether that may or may not be speculative, and we just don't know, we'd still ask the question, well, what, why didn't you raise everybody in those tombs? Everybody could have walked out. Others could have been reunited with their loved ones. And, and here's where we need to be reminded that Lazarus, well, he's going to go on to die again, okay? This isn't a permanent thing for, for, for Lazarus. And that would be to completely miss the point, I think. Because this sign in the Gospel of John, it's about something much bigger. It's about the one who has come, who is the resurrection and life. It's not about Lazarus. And it's not about Lazarus' resurrection. It's ultimately about Jesus and his resurrection and that he is the one alone who has the power. And how do people respond? We see it in verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with, with Mary had seen what he did. They believed in him. There were many that day who embraced Jesus, who believed in him, believing that he was the resurrection. He is the resurrection and the life. But then we read verse 46. But some of them went to the Pharisees and, and told them what Jesus had done. You, you see how we have two different responses here. We have many who believe, but then there are some people there. People who saw the miracle. Saw Lazarus walk out of the tomb after four days. And they went and told the leaders because they didn't want to believe it. You know, in here this morning, no doubt, we have those who believe who believe that he is the resurrection. There's others of you who may be struggling to believe that or who just don't believe it. And you may be saying, well, if I could just see a man walk out of the tomb, I think we see here that it's not that easy, right? There are people who saw him walk out of the tomb and it wasn't enough for them. Don't assume that it'll be enough for you. But which one are you? Are you the one who believed or the one who went to go tell the Pharisees? Which one are you? Now, as we go through this story, I don't want us to miss maybe the most, in some ways, incredible part of it. And that is this, that the one who is angered by death, the one who grieved with those who are grieving, who in this moment conquered the death of Lazarus by raising him from the dead, was Understand this, by those very acts, breaking down the last barriers that were keeping him from going to his own death. In the Gospel of John, it is this event that starts the dominoes falling that will lead to his crucifixion. Lazarus' resurrection means Jesus' crucifixion. Let us not miss that. And it's in Jesus' death that Paul's words in 2 Timothy come true, that what did Jesus do? He abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It's through his death that he abolishes death. That thing that so outraged him that he beats all 
So that while, yes, you and I, we may need to taste of death, the death of this mortal body that may come for us. At the same time, those of us, those who trust in Christ, those will never be the last words. The death of this mortal body will never be the last words. And you see, all because while we wait here on earth, or maybe while, while, if, if we go on to be with Jesus now and we, we wait there too, understand? We're waiting for that day. That day when, as, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that day when in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Jesus faced death for us. And he has conquered it. Don't miss it. That's how he is the resurrection and the life. He has conquered death. Because he has conquered death, you and I, if we're in Christ, we're able to say these words of Paul and mean it and it be true. We're able to, to look at death in the face and say, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus really has come and done this incredible thing? Do you believe that he really came and walked as us, as we do, but lived a, a life of perfection, but willingly took on that penalty of death which you and I deserve? But it didn't end there that he conquered death itself. Do you believe it? Jesus asked Martha, he said to Martha, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Everything hangs on that question. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God of great comfort. A God of great comfort who comes and who um, encourages us even in our sorrows and our griefs. We thank you that in ways that we can never understand, you are at work growing and maturing us. And it's ultimately all for your glory. We confess at times it's hard to believe. How would you help us this day to believe that the wonder that we've heard this morning of the gospel is really true? That you weren't just... You didn't just send your, your son as a good man and a good teacher. 
but as the one who came to die so that he might conquer death. And not just for himself, but for us. So that in him we die, but in him we also rise again that he is the resurrection. Oh, would you help us to believe? Would you help our unbelief this day? And help us to embrace and cling to this wonderful good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ this day. Oh, would you help us now to continue as we worship you with song, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.